Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of the Yard. Yes, it's early in the morning. It is. It is. Couldn't sleep. Decided to go ahead and record the show because we've got a busy day tomorrow. Of course, we've got uh, Mike Leach's press conference as we prepare for East Tennessee State. An important game because it's the next game. It's game two because of what happened over the weekend in the Southeastern Conference. You get that win, perhaps uh, State's elevated a little bit in the bowl pecking order. But, of course, State wins these last two, which are very possible. Put yourself in a situation to get a pretty good bowl game. Yeah, really good bowl game in many respects because the SEC's got to fill these slots. A lot of parity in the league this year. And outside of Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, there's a lot of room for mobility these last couple weekends. So State's got to take full advantage. We're going to recap the game as much as we don't want to. There were some positive or some negatives, some things that happened on the field, some things that happened in the stands. There's a lot of that to talk about. I'm going to be very forthright about this today. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to try to spin anything. I get accused of that sometimes, too. It's like I'm not negative enough, and all of a sudden I'm some kind of Pollyanna. The people that are around me will tell you that I'm not. You know, there are some things that I'm tired of, too. And I'll tell you, the, the, the number one thing that I'm tired of is not being a serious factor in the SEC West. Now, now that's now Mike Leach is the caretaker of the program right now, right? So a lot of that burden rides on his shoulders. But to be honest with you, outside of the 2014 season, we really haven't been a real factor in the West. You know, we've ridden that 1998 appearance, and yes, it's the only one we have. We're happy to have it. We've ridden that. Man, that's ancient history now. The players of today weren't even alive the last time we went to Atlanta. And so it's time for us to kind of take a step. 99, of course, we had a chance, but again, that's ancient history. That was another century ago. And so I'm tired of... Liberty Bowls and Music City Bowls and things like that. And I know that sounds disrespectful to you know some of our old-timers that there were years we, we couldn't go to a bowl game, but there's a lot more bowl games these days. And I'm happy to go. I'm grateful to go. But I want a little bit more. I think there are a lot more of us that feel that way too. It's like, you know what, hey, it's better than it used to be. It is, but it's not as good as it could be. And I think that's really the thing – Maybe people in my generation and younger feel it's like, you know what, yeah, we, we've kind of stagnated a little bit as a program. And the thing that I go back to is I think about, you know, you look at all the turmoil that Ole Miss has had in the last, I don't know, dozen years or so. And then you look at where we are now, and yes, there, you know, the, the, that story is still being written, and we get a chance to sing a verse in that here on Thanksgiving. But they're ahead of us right now. may not be at year's end. Of course, they've played a, little, a much easier schedule than we have. But the reality of it is, is that uh, we've had opportunities to gain some separation within this rivalry over the course of the last decade or so, and we haven't been able to do it. You know, Dan Mullen had multiple opportunities to kind of put his foot on their throat, didn't do it from a recruiting standpoint, didn't do it on the field. Joe Moorhead came in with big talk about clear off mantle on your place on your mantle for a Heisman Trophy and what's your ring size and that kind of stuff. And and then I had to sit there after that loss to Louisville in the Music City Bowl and hear Joe talk about all the positives of the season when we were underachieved. It's crazy. And granted, you know, Leach 2020 year, you know, hey, you know, you can say what you want to about it. You know, it was difficult on everybody. Some people got fired. Some people took full advantage. But the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, I, I can't say we're necessarily on schedule with my expectations. Maybe we are with Mike's. 
And I think next year you've got a chance to have a really good year, of course, with, uh, you know, with eight home games and then some of the road games within the league, you know, are toss-ups. You know, you, you, you go to Arkansas, it's a toss-up. You go to A&M, that's a toss-up. We've had some success there. You go to Auburn, that's a toss-up too. And they're going to be looking at a new coach. You know, so the reality of it is it's a very favorable schedule next year. And I think, too, when you look at it, if we're able to win eight in the regular season – and then somehow managed to win a bowl game, considering that many people forecasted us to have the most difficult schedule in the country, you get eight or nine wins, I think that's a win. Some of you may disagree, but I think it is. And I can't cry over the spilled milk. It's like, you know, beginning of the year, we all said, hey, if we got the eight and four and got the egg back, the year would be considered a success. Well, we're not going to have a revisionist history about that. And, yes, LSU is better now than they were when we played them. We still should have won the ball game. Kentucky's not as good. As they were when we played them, as uh, this past weekend shows. But the reality of it is Kentucky, I, I think, is an inferior team. I think many of you have now come along, along that line of thinking. But they pushed us around up there in Lexington. They did. They beat us. We beat ourselves against LSU. Kentucky beat us. And this is a very bad to mediocre Kentucky team. Mediocre at best. Kentucky team. And they beat us. And so you can look at that and say, hey, with the information we had at the time, we probably should have won those games. It should have been a better season than it is. Can't change the past, but you can change what it means. You win these last two, you get the egg back. You finish eight and four, get into a Florida Bowl game, find a way to win that. I think we'll look back favorably on the season. I think that's fair. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You do too. You know you do. And if you don't know them yet, to know them is to love them. Great food at a great price. I love Bulldog Burger Company. Great service. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas with a brand new patio area. Lake Harbor Drive in a Ridge and Flowood area. And Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. A fabulous location. Go in, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. Get a great restaurant quality hamburger, whether it be the Bulldog, the Mission, the Bryant, the Lauren, the Pimentology Add Bacon. There's a lot to choose from. And maybe you don't feel like a burger today, but you want to go get weighted on at a great place. Go get that BLT salad. I prefer it grilled. You may like it fried. Either way, they can take care of you at Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about this Georgia game. My early impressions were this, okay? We played hard. We did. We didn't go out there and play scared. But the reality of it is we didn't win the football game. And, and I hate these weeks. It feels like they're more endured than enjoyed. And that, that says a lot about where we are as a program. We have got to rise to that level that we feel like we can win every time we take the field. Now, some games are going to be more difficult than others, right? When you play East, East Tennessee State this weekend, you may not have that same level of urgency that maybe you did, you know, against Auburn or Arkansas. But I would like to see our level of intensity be consistent, our level of performance. Now, granted, you're, nobody – listen, nobody is going to move the football in Georgia the way they do on Memphis. It's just not how life works. You know, Memphis – I mean, excuse me, Georgia's given up, what, 118 points in 10 ball games, just under 12 points a game. As explosive as Tennessee is, they only scored 13 points. We managed to get 19. I'm not looking for moral victories here, but the reality of it is – you're not going to beat Georgia in a game where they score in the 30s. You got a shot if they score in the 20s, as Missouri showed. 
you got a shot. But you can't – I don't think it's fair to judge this Bulldog team just based on how they played against Georgia. Now, some would say, hey, Steve, you know what? It's not just Georgia. There's some other games we gave away, and we've talked about that. We've had some lulls even in some games that we've won. But let's not erase the fact that we did beat A&M, we did beat Arkansas, we did beat Auburn. Now, are they great teams this year? No, they are not. But good teams beat mediocre to poor teams. We've done that. And you look at it, outside of that bad loss to Kentucky, who is still a winning team, we don't have the bad loss on the schedule. We thought Arizona might get us. Some thought Memphis might get us. So we're not there. So we're winning the games we should win, with the exception of maybe Kentucky. And that's it's been a tough out for us going to Lexington here the last few trips. But, uh, but the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, Georgia has made a lot of teams look bad. And I thought that our team showed up and competed until they kind of wore down. So let's go ahead and break this bad boy down. State wins a toss, elects to receive. I thought that was interesting. It's a kickoff. It ends up being a touchback. First and 10 from our 25 were complete to, to uh, Jaden Wildy across the middle. I thought this was good, too, because I don't think, and I think the game eventually showed, you're not going to be able to run east and west on Georgia. I mean, even if you run those bubble screens and things like that, they are so fast at linebacker and the secondary, those turn into very minimal gains. Then we're incomplete to Ra-Ra, and then we're incomplete to, uh, to Woody. Jalen Carter in Will's face there. Checkdown game still was, you know, a lot. Of, again, people are going to mimic what Auburn did because they had success with it. We get a 45-yard punt here, which proved to be maybe the punting highlight of the night. We had a couple decent punts, but, uh, you know, it's still, it's still so hit or miss. And it was good most of the year, but the last couple weeks, I don't know what's happened. We, we talk about coaching. I thought Mike Nemeth made a great point. You shouldn't have to coach a kid to field a snap. It's a pretty basic fundamental element of football. That's what happened last week. Everybody makes mistakes every once in a while, but the reality of it is that can't happen. All right, so we punted away to Georgia. They go right to work their very first drive, and it really felt like we were in trouble. They get a false start on the first place. It's first and 15. It's complete for 10 yards, which brings up a very manageable second five. Then they, they complete again for seven, moves chains. First and 10, they finally run the football. Uh, three yards for Kenny McIntosh, who I thought really had a good game against us. Second and seven, Stetson Bennett then deep to Brock Bowers. And the, the Georgia tight ends were difference makers, all of them. No doubt about it. And that's the thing, too, and I mentioned this in our postgame wrap-up. With everybody kind of fashioning their defense to stop the spread, you know, you're putting more nickel and dime packages on the field, and all of a sudden you see these tight ends that are, you know, kind of like miniature offensive linemen but have the foot speed of receivers. That's a walk and mismatch. And they really exploited that mismatch. And that's not something that's germane to Mississippi State. They've been utilizing that personnel group the entire year. And uh, Zach Arnett spoke about that, too. It's like, you know, when you've got those guys out there, you can run short yardage, you can spread people out, you can run your base offense. I mean, it's just they have a lot of talent. All right, first and 10, complete to Darnell Washington for 30. Down to the state 13. Then McIntosh runs for 12. That makes it first and goal from the one. And Stetson Benton fumbled here. I mean, if we get on that thing, you know, hey, get the crowd going, turn them away, we weren't going to win the ball game. But the margin might have been somewhat different. Then Kenny McIntosh on second one, we hit him for a loss. And then uh, Stetson Bennett, then on play action pass, tosses it out to wide open Brock Bowers for a touchdown. And that's the thing. When you can run the football, or at least there is the perceived threat of running the football, 
it opens things up for that play action pass. So we got burned on that a few times. Extra point is good. Then the kickoff is a subsequent touchback. All right, so we take over down 7 0 with 9.50 to go in the first quarter. We give it to Woody. Nice run here. He, he has some real burst. 14 yards, first down out to the 39. Then we're complete to, uh, to Tulu for a loss of one here. And this was that little puff pass. We talked about that a little bit. That there were some new wrinkles they were putting in place for Tulu. This was one of them. Didn't work out for us. It may work against some other teams, but it didn't work here. But now we put it on film, people will be expecting it. And we lined up outside there off the line of scrimmage. And I think in some ways most people thought something was amiss here. And it was. But they, Georgia's all over. And, again, that's the thing with Georgia. Running east and west, you're in trouble. All right, second 11, we give it back to Woody for five. Brings up a manageable third and six. We go to DJ here for no gain. 46-yard punt from George, and this was another good punt. This one's down at the, uh, at the 11-yard line. And a lot of these were not – they weren't Ray Guy-esque type punts, but they were effective. You know, you're not going to get a lot of style points for them, but they were effective. Good sequence here for the Bulldog defense. Edwards runs right for four yards, and it's incomplete. And then it's incomplete. It's complete to Bowers for five yards, but we're all over it. He fought, he fought hard for the marker, but a good job here by Buki Watson, Judd Johnson, to hold him short of the line to gain. They elect a punt, and uh, Brett Thorson with a 45-yarder. Xavier Thomas with a return of eight yards to the Bulldog 43. So you feel like we're in a good shape here. We feel like, hey, we've we got a good opportunity here to make some things happen. But we didn't. First and 10 from our 43. We're out to uh, Justin Robinson for six. Brings up a manageable second and four. We run up the middle for one yard. And on third and three, we run it again and get two yards. Makes it fourth and one. We decide to go for it. It's at midfield. And I was okay with going for it. I was. Not so sure I like the play call here. But the reality of it is is that, uh, you know, we're on the Georgia side of the 50-yard line. Defense is playing pretty well, and let's be honest with you, you're going to have to take some chances to beat Georgia. And this, this may not have been the football play that people agreed with. I, I like the aggressiveness here. And of course, some of our fans, if Lane Kiffin does it, it's great, and if Mike Leach does it, it's terrible. But this was a good decision here. It just didn't work out for us. Bulldog defense makes it stand up. Kenny McIntosh runs for a one-yard loss, makes it second 11. And then Stetson Bennett drops back the pass, and Tyrus Weed in his face forces the underthrow. Colin Duncan gets underneath it. It's an interception return, 13 yards to State 34. So here we go. Got a chance, right? State just struggled to get anything going offensively here early in this ballgame. Incomplete to Wally, incomplete to Marks, and then incomplete to Scooby Ford. Makes it fourth and ten. And listen, they were doing a good job, too, kind of getting in Will's face, getting him off the spot, kind of limiting his pass options out there because when he rolls right, you can't throw left, right? Dropless then 27 yards to the Georgia 39. Georgia finishes up the quarter here with a pretty good drive here. Bennett's incomplete to Washington. Then he's complete to Dylan Bell for one yard. Brings up a third and nine. A chance for us to get off the field. And Lad McConkey really got going here. 15-yard gain for him. First and 10 at the State 45. It's complete to Karis Jackson for one yard. And then they flag him for holding. So it's first and 19. You're thinking, okay. We got him behind the chains, play cloud, make a tackle. But they complete it for three yards out to Edwards, and we do. We're on the spot. Makes a second and 16. And then there's some craziness ensues here, too. Bennett's incomplete to Brock Bowers for 11, which would have made it a third and five. They flag Emmanuel Forbes for the face mask. 
Automatic first down, first and 10 to our 25. They try to run it again for no gain. That runs out the quarter. So 7 nothing. if I had told you that we would be in a 7 nothing ball game with Georgia after one quarter, you think, you know what, we got a shot. I'll be honest with you, it didn't really feel like it. I mean, you look up at the scoreboard and you think, you know, Georgia's kind of running up down the field a little bit here. We haven't been able to do much offensively, but it's just 7 nothing. So, you, you know, you're, you're a play away, a non-offensive touchdown away, a big play, anything. But you're in the ball game. It didn't feel like it, but we were. Okay, second and 10. Bennett is then complete to Brock Bowers for eight to the state 17. They go no huddle here. McIntosh runs for a one-yard gain. And again, Bulldog defense, rush defense, pretty good job in this game. Brings up a fourth and one. This could, again, have been a big momentum switch in the ballgame. You make a play right here, and you get off the field, get the crowd all jacked up, and it's still a one-score game. They run the quarterback sneak, and some people, we can't run that. So, first and five, Bennett then is complete to Darnell Washington for five, makes it second and five, and uh, they, they run right, and again, no gain. No gain. Bulldog front doing a good job here. They call, we call timeout here to settle the defense. It's third and five, then they're incomplete to Darnell Washington, makes it fourth and five. They attempt a field goal, it's good. Kickoff is 44 yards to State 21. A Scott kicked it, and then Price gets nine yards on a return. It is a return out to the 30-yard line. So it's 10 nothing, Georgia here. But you've got a chance now kind of creep back in the ballgame. And State puts together a nice drive here. It took us a little while to kind of get going here. But we, we put together a nice drive, and we had a bit of an answer. Will Riders complete to Rufus for two, go back to Rufus for eight. And Rufus at the sticks for a little guy really fights with some tenacity. He, he, he has good football IQ. He knows where the sticks are. First and 10, Dylan Johnson runs off left side for two. And we're complete to Tulu for eight. That moves the chains again. First and 10, pass complete to Austin Williams for nine. Now we're in Georgia territory. And for the first time, it felt like we had a little rhythm here. They get us for a false start, five yards on Nick Jones. Made it second and six, but we didn't panic here. We didn't panic. We're complete to Justin Robinson for 12. And you know it was a big ball game from him, for him being a former Georgia guy. First and 10 to Georgia 34. Complete then to Rufus Harvey for seven. Makes it second and three. We go to Austin Williams for one, and then that makes it third and two. And you're thinking, you know what, this, this drive is fixing to get jammed up. It didn't. We found Tulu again for eight more yards inside the red zone. Brings up a first and ten. And it really it felt like right here we were about to score. Now, you know things get a little congested in the red zone. And Georgia obviously can run at all levels of defense. But it felt like, you know what, we might be able to make something happen here. DJ then runs for one, brings up a second and nine. And then, you know, we throw it short to, to Tulu, but they're flagged for pass interference. Makes it first and goal from the five-yard line. And right here I'm thinking, we're definitely going to score. Definitely going to score. We call timeout. On second and five, we're incomplete to Rufus. And then we run Woody for two yards, and then there is a delay of game penalty on us. We end up having to, um, I guess – or maybe that – I think they put that in there. I think we actually called timeout before that happened. But, you know, what I will go back to is on this first and five play, we're incomplete to Justin, then we're incomplete to Rufus. On first and five, let's run football. Right, I mean, you got Woody Marks down there. I'm running Woody four times, to be quite honest with you. Maybe I mix it up and give it to Dylan. But I'm, I'm running – first and goal from the five, I'm going to run the football. You've had some success running the football here. It's been in small increments outside of that big run from Woody. But I got to think – with my offensive line 
and the running backs available to me, I ought to be able to get five yards on four attempts. Maybe it's just me. And again, I'm not being critical of anybody. That's just that's what I would have done. They were incomplete to Justin, and and Justin's open here. The throw is a little bit high, and I think we're a little late throwing it. Even if he comes down with it, I think he's out of bounds. Second five down, of course, for incomplete to Rufus, and we give it to Woody, and we get two yards here. If that's your first down play, and it's second goal from the three, I'm a little more optimistic about us running the football in. But we don't, and we get the, we do get the delay game penalty, and we attempt a 25 yard field goal, and it's good. So it's 10-3, so you're back to within a score. And you start looking at that clock and you're thinking, you know what? Second half's about to start. Not much time left here in the second quarter. We get a touchback on the kickoff. All right, so they started their 25. McIntosh then runs off right side for nine. It's complete then to McConkie for four. Moving the chains again. That McConkie kid's he's legit. First and 10, Bennett gets flushed, runs for five. Second five, we get in his face again. This time the pass is incomplete. Brings up a third and five, a chance for us to get off the field here. But instead, it's complete to DeWan Edwards for 15 yards and across midfield to the state 42. Stetson Bennett then hits Kiaris Jackson for 28 yards inside the red zone. And you think, you know what? We're in trouble here. They, got, they, they, they really have some momentum. Uh, no huddle here. Bennett complete to Kiaris Jackson for 10, which makes up a first and goal situation to four. Stetson Bennett then runs off left side for a touchdown. Very athletic guy, kind of sneaky, fast. He's not Mosley, and he's not Daniels, but puts some respect on the kid's name. Extra point is good. It's now 17-3, and you start thinking here, you start thinking, okay, we got to get out and get something productive here because they get the ball first out of the half, and with our success as of late, our lack of success on these last couple of Georgia drives, you start thinking, you know, another touchdown here, this game is over. So we do go put a scoring drive together. We're complete to Wally for 47 yards. Nice catch and run here. And what is it about Wally? Georgia just brings out the best in him. Then we go back to him, we're incomplete. Then we finally hit him for two more yards. And so all of a sudden, we're in the red zone. Brings up a third and eight. The pass is incomplete to Caleb Ducking. I thought he was short of the sticks anyway. I don't know. That, he has to make a guy miss there, but I, I didn't think that maybe our route concept there was as advantageous as it should be. Brings up a fourth and eight. Biscardi, again, good from, from uh, 36 here. So now it's 17-6 ball game. It's still a two-score game, but you feel like, okay, we've put together back-to-back scoring drives. It's a matter of time before we punch one in the end zone. Georgia now has a chance here because we kick it to the one. They bring it out to the 20. They have a chance here to kind of go, um, you know, to go two for one here, right? Because if they can go down and get anything here, and I thought they had some urgency here, you can go two for one because you close out here. Let's say you get a field goal and come back and get another one or a touchdown, the game's over. But they start with less than a minute to go, and they come out and they try to go down the field. I, I appreciate the aggressiveness, but maybe sometimes the discretion's a better part of valor. It's complete left to Ladd McConkie for seven. Incomplete to McIntosh, uh, Bookie Watson, and his grill there. Third and three, it's incomplete. Now we got a chance to get off the field. State, uh, you know, again, you start thinking here. You set up a return, and uh, they end up calling a timeout here, which was interesting. 36-yard punt, not a good punt. They didn't outkick the coverage. He actually underkicked the coverage. And I think that they relaxed a little bit when they saw Xavier kind of pointing to everybody where the ball was, you know. And next thing you know, he scoops it up, he gets outside, gets a big block from Simeon Price on the edge. 
63 yards for the touchdown. And then at that point, you start thinking, you know what? We might be in, 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 in the mood for some craziness here. We go for two here. We don't get it. So instead of it being 17-14, it's 17-12. And then we kick off, and then they, they run the clock out. But at the half, State is within five points against the number one team in the country. And again, you get your non-offensive touchdown. You've had back-to-back scoring drives offensively, and you start beginning to think to yourself, maybe we got a shot. We begin to get any semblance of offense here in the second half. We got a shot here. Defense playing pretty, pretty good against a run. Can't get bent on the ground. But we're in it. All right, let's get to the third quarter. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And you just felt like, you know what, if we can get a stop here and get anything, we're really in it. Unfortunately, we're unable to do that. We do get a touchback from Ben Rabin on the opening kickoff. They set up at first and 10 at their 25. McIntosh runs for five, and you know right here they're trying to establish the running game. They run a little razzle-dazzle, a little end-around play to Ladd McConkey, 70 yards for the touchdown. There was a block in the back penalty that went uncalled, and there was a lot of – I'm not going to belabor the point about this officiating stuff. I, I feel like it comes off as sour grapes. But you had the rough-in-the-passer penalty picked up. How often do you see that happen? You had the block in the back here. You had the, the defensive back that went through Rufus well in advance of the football. You had that intentional grounding call, and, and they were tripping over themselves trying to find a way to legitimize that call. It's an absolute joke. The SEC office is not going to do anything about it. They're not. They're just going to say, shut up and cash a check, Mississippi State. We're trying to get Georgia in an Eiffel championship picture. So, no, you're not going to get a, a fair and equitable game. You're not. So just shut up and take it. And, and I, I tweeted this out, too. People always ask me, who would you like to have for AD? I, I don't know which individual that I really want, but I, whoever I want, I want somebody that the SEC office on Sunday morning hates to see the phone ring because they know this individual. And John Cohen had some of this. But I want somebody that is not scared maybe to, to step on some toes and hurt some feelings and say, you know what, I'm going to stand up for Mississippi State. You guys are not going to come in here and push us around and bully us and expect us not to take anything. And we've had some administrators in the past that'd be like, okay, all right, whatever's best for the league. Uh, you know, I don't know that I agree with that. I want what's best for Mississippi State and not necessarily what's best for Georgia. And you can say, but, Steve, we'll get more bowl revenue. You know what? We'll, we'll earn our own bowl revenue going to a better bowl game. How'd that be, right? I know how it all works. But it always seems that we get shafted in this kind of stuff. And it's not just us. Ole Miss gets shafted, too. Arkansas gets shafted. South Carolina gets shafted. It's all the rest of us kind of in that middle tier and lower. We're not going to get the benefit of those calls. They're going to protect the elite teams. And maybe that's good business, but it's not good sports. Extra points, good. It's 24 to 12. And even now, you felt like we got a chance, but we had missed a golden opportunity to get closer. First and 10 from our 25, we're complete to Caleb Ducking for 13 yards. Off and running here, first and 10 from 38. Dylan Johnson runs left for three. We're complete to Rara for a one-yard loss here. Probably should have thrown this ball away. Uh, brings up third and 14, and we're incomplete across the middle to Austin Williams, broken up by Christopher Smith. So outside of that Caleb Ducking play, everything is negative after that. And, if, and that's when you know you're playing with fire. Right, you got a team like Georgia that's already made their halftime adjustments. They've hit you on a big play. Defense goes out there feeling stressed, feeling anxious, and the offense can't produce. So you take over at uh, at the at the uh, <clears throat> excuse me. They take over. I lost my place there. Okay, they take over at their thirty-three, and they run left for two yards. Then it's incomplete, which makes it second and eight. Third and eight, it's complete to Kyrus Jackson for 30 yards. You had a good game for Georgia. Then it's an incomplete to Kyrus Jackson, makes it second and 10. McIntosh runs again, one-yard gain. They're just they're not – outside of that end-around play, 
and, and that counts, don't get me wrong, but when they just tried to line up and run the football against Mississippi State, they had some difficulty. All right, third and nine, it's incomplete to McConkie. However, they call us for pass interference. And it was so unnecessary. And this is one like, – I would talk about bad calls. This, this was the right call. And we just had no reason to do it. We just had absolutely no reason to do it. It's an unnecessary penalty. It really is. Um, but anyway, so that, you know, hey, first and ten at our 20. And then uh, McIntosh runs off left side for three. And then Ladd McConkey is – Got in the end zone again on the pass reception. Extra points good at 31-12 at this point. I think we all knew the outcome of this one. You know, it's like we've been in it for a while, and you kind of gritting your teeth a little bit thinking, you know, maybe we got a shot. But all of a sudden they go up three scores, and you kind of know how this thing is going to end. State takes over at their own 29-yard line after a nice return from Tulu. 26 yards on a return. Sets up a first and 10 at our 29. Well, Rodgers is then incomplete to Tulu Griffin. Uh, Kamari Lasseter breaks it up here. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Woody then runs for two. And on third and eight, we're incomplete. However, they flag him for pass interference. Well, now, the game has been decided now, so we've got to even up these flags. First and ten now from the state 40-yard line. We're complete to Woody Marks, who gets four. Then we're incomplete to Wally. Incomplete to Wally. We have to punt. 31-yard punt to the Georgia 25 Lad McConkey fair catches it. You got a chance here again. A chance if you can get off the field. Bulldog defense does a good job here again. Bennett runs left for no gain. Branson Robinson from Germantown runs for a one-yard loss, brings up a third and 11, and Ty Wheat makes a ridiculous play, bats it up, pulls it out of the air, interception. Second interception of the game for Stetson Bennett, a guy that's really not known for being loose and fast with the football. Bulldog defense forcing some turnovers here. So, again, you're trying to climb back in it. State does take full advantage of the uh, the approved field position here. First and 10 from our tw- from their 22. We hit one, and Dylan Johnson runs hard up the middle for 16 yards. And Dylan's still not quite 100%, better than he was a week ago. Still not quite steady on his feet. He'll get there. 16 yards down, for first and goal at the Georgia six. And the next thing you know, we lay it up. Rufus Harvey wide open in the end zone for the touchdown. Extra point is good. Now it's 31-19. And, guys, we're still in the third quarter. You know, you start thinking, you know, if we can get a stop here, maybe we can climb back into it. As long as those odds are, maybe we got a shot. You never know. You get another punt return. You get a pick six. Anything can happen. You just got to keep playing hard. And Georgia came out here, and I thought on this particular drive, we're just kind of, you know what, we're, we're, we're tired of messing with these guys. Yeah, we've never really felt threatened in the game. But we're going to go ahead and – it's closing time. And that's what great teams do. They have a killer instinct. I thought Georgia really showed that here. We helped them a little bit too. Uh, but it's incomplete to McConkie from their 25. Then McIntosh runs for eight. They hit uh, Marcus Rosamie Jack Saint for 12 yards. I think I got that right. First and 10 to Georgia, 45. They run off left side for four. Second and six. Pass complete to Darnell Washington for 16 yards. Makes it first and 10 at our 35. Dewan Robinson, Dewan Edwards, excuse me, my goodness, runs for six yards. And you're starting to see some of some of this run get a little advancement here. But State did you know, kind of stiffen up here later in this drive. Bennett then hits Ladd McConkie again for 28. McConkie probably the player of the game. 
sets up a first and goal at our one-yard line. And then McIntosh is stuffed for a one-yard loss. Edwards then stuffed for a two-yard loss. They make a throw to the end zone, and Jackie Matthews breaks it up. And that's covering Brock Bowers, the future first-rounder right there. And here again, an, an unnecessary penalty. They kick a field goal because you think here, even if they kick a field goal, it's 34-19, it's still a two-score game. You go down and get a touchdown, you're within, you're within eight points. We get a rough in the kicker penalty. It was rough in the kicker. I know some of our fans were upset about it, but it was absolutely a penalty. On the final play of the third quarter, they run McIntosh off the right side for no gain. So you start looking at these last three rushes, one-yard loss, two-yard loss, nothing. We talk about defense kind of gassing out sometimes. I thought through the third quarter they still had some juice. So eventually they get in. Bennett's complete to Darnell Washington on the first play of the fourth quarter. Extra point is good. Makes it 38-19. At this point, there was no doubt. And, and again, give Georgia some credit. All right, State then takes over at our 25. It's incomplete to Xavier Thomas, incomplete to Austin Williams, and then Will Rogers is sacked for the first time tonight. And we, you know, Auburn really got after us a little bit. And we talked about, oh, there were some people expecting Georgia to get 10 sacks. Despite the score of the ballgame, offensive line play was better this week. But at the end of the day, we didn't win the ballgame. So they didn't play well enough to win, but they played better than they did against Auburn. And maybe that bodes well down the stretch. Brings up a fourth and 17. We decide to punt, and they rough the kicker. And again, the game's been decided, so it's even up the calls. I, you know, I, th- I thought it was a little bit ticky-tack. He touched him. I thought George did a good job there making sure he got down to make to give the official – the impetus, if George tries to stay up, that flag doesn't come out of the pocket, right? So good job for George there. All right, first and 10 from our 33. We hit Rara for 24. We're off and moving here. First and 10, we hit uh, Caleb for seven. We're at the Georgia 36. And again, you start thinking, okay, let's find some, some semblance of offense here. Second and third, second and three, we're incomplete to Rufus. And this is when Christopher Smith ran through his back. This is the play I'm talking about. Absolutely P.I., they didn't call it. Third and three, we're complete to Woody for eight, so we moved the chains anyway in spite of the blown call by the officials. First and ten from the Georgia 28. We run up the middle for four yards. Second and six, we hit Rufus. And Rufus, again, you know, when we need to move the chains, Rufus, in many respects, not the biggest kid, but he finds a way to wrestle forward. Seven yards, we're in the red zone now. First and ten, incomplete to Ra-Ra. Second and ten. Uh, Woody runs off right side for nine yards, makes it a third and one situation, and we throw to the end zone here, and Ra-Ra drops a sure touchdown pass. And then we call timeout, decide to run the football. They blow Woody up for no gain here, and again, it's a missed opportunity. And, and again, the game's over here, but you know what? you you got to execute here. you got to execute. When you get down inside the Georgia 10 and you got two plays at it, you got to get that ball in the end zone. All right, they take over on downs. Bulldog defense didn't quit, though. They didn't quit. All right, first and 10 from their eight. Milton runs off left side for three, then off right side for three, and then we get Edwards for one. So it brings up a fourth and three. They end up punting, 62-yard punt, and uh, Xavier just got away from it. I think I think he just kind of thought better of it. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes that's the way to do it. You know, you, you hate to see that ball roll loose, but it's much better than muffing the football. All right, first and 10 from our 23. Will is incomplete to DJ for seven. Then we're incomplete to DJ in our face. They call personal foul here. And, again, again, game's decided. you got to make sure you call these. 
All right, first and 10 from our 45. We're complete to DJ, and it's a one-yard loss. Then we're incomplete to Ra-Ra. That might have been another drop. I want to say Ra-Ra had two, maybe three. We had a handful of drops we shouldn't have. And Georgia had a couple, too. Not as many as we did, but they did have a couple. Uh, Dylan Johnson, it runs off right side for three, a third and 11. Brings up a fourth and eight, and uh, we decided to go for it. We're out near midfield, and you don't have any choice. I mean, you're in you know, second half of the first quarter, fourth quarter. And um, you knew you weren't going to get it too many more times. So we go for it. We don't get it. Georgia takes over at the State 47, and you just feel like they're trying to run out of here and get out of here, right, get the game over. Edwards runs two yards. Branson Robinson gets three. On third and five, they, they throw a little pass to, to keep the chains moving. Darnell Washington, seven-yard reception, makes it first and 10 at our 35. Then Kendall Smith runs for a one-yard gain, and then they get loose here. Kendall Milton, 34 yards for the touchdown, that, and that's the kill shot. I mean, it's like it's, it's almost adding insult to injury, but it's our job to stop them. Extra point is good. 59-yard kickoff. Tulu runs it out, seven yards to the State 13. Good coverage there. This is that one that just kind of rolled around down there. And uh, this is the final drive of the ball game. We take over with just under two minutes to go. Will Rogers is then complete to Woody Marks for seven, out to the 20. Back to Woody. He runs for five yards up the middle. Then we're incomplete to Rufus, second and 10. Simeon Price runs for four hard yards. Then we're complete to Rufus for 36 yards. Puts us over 300 yards of offense on that play. And then we're complete to Tulu Griffin for 19. And then we try a little razzle-dazzle here. One of these little uh, wrinkles we try to put in here, and uh, they, we, we lateral it. didn't work out for us. But um, we get inside the Georgia 20. But uh, the bottom line, the game was over. 45-19 is your final. Let's look inside the numbers real quick here. Uh, they're not great. Maybe not quite as bad as, as, it, as it felt. But the bottom line is we didn't win the football game. And as we talk about all these statistics, so we give up all this, but we won by 23. Well, at some point, that's going to get us. And there's other games where we outgain teams and lose. You know, what matters most is putting points on the board. All right, Georgia with 29 first downs. We had 18. It's not bad. But the, uh, the rushing, they run for 179 yards net. A little beneath the average. We run for 47. 289 yards passing for them, 261 for us. That's beneath our average. They have 468 yards of offense. We have 308. We talked earlier in the week. They're scoring 40 points a game, giving up 10. Uh, not too far off that average, right? So what Rodgers, 29 of 51 for 261 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions, 47-yard long, and sacked just the one time. Uh, I have read a lot of people that are upset with Will. I, I don't think Will Rodgers is the reason that we lost. I think the talent differential is. Now, could Will have thrown a couple balls better? Absolutely. He also had some drops. His offensive line at times allowed people to get in his face, and it seemed like probably half of these complete incompletions are Will having to just throw the ball away because there's just pressure in his face and we're trying to avoid a negative play. Woody Marks, seven carries, 41 yards, averaging 5.9 yards a carry. I think I'd probably have given him the football a little bit more. DJ, six for nine. Simeon Price, one for four. Rufus Harvey, your leading receiver, six grabs, 64 yards, and a touchdown. Jaden Wally, three of 52. And we had a bunch of guys that got in the ball game. They got their hands on the football, but nobody quite as impactful as those two. Tulu, four for 26. Ra-Ra had a chance to make some really big plays, just had uh, two catches, one for 24 and one for negative one. Defensively, again, 
you look at the scoreboard and you think, man, defense must not have shown up. I, I, I thought they did. You know, I, I thought Georgia's just better than us. But I thought we, I thought we came to play Bookie Watson with 16 tackles, a quarterback hurry, DeCam with 10, Cam Young with seven. You expect that against a rushing team. Jackie Matthews with six, Jet with six, Tyra Sweet with five. I thought Ty was very impactful. Had the pick and a quarterback hurry. Jalen Green, you know, four tackles, a TFL. You know, so we had some guys in there making some plays, just not enough of them. You know, just simply not enough. And, you know, some of that, too, it's a team game, right? You, you go out there and you get your, your defense a lift by putting some points on the board. And at times we were kind of incapable of doing that. So that's a ball game. I guess maybe the only – the biggest news is, we, number one, we didn't play scared. We came to play, and we got out of the game with no major injuries. And, and that sounds such, like such a loser's mentality. But when you think about how important these final two games are, we could ill afford to lose somebody in this game. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You know Blair Chandler. He's a bulldog. He's also a mortgage professional. He's a guy that keeps his eye on the prize, and he can help you kind of succeed in life. It's one of those things you look at. You need people that have expertise in whatever you're dealing with. And, and, you know, if you're like me, I know a lot about, excuse me, I know a little about a lot. But when it comes to mortgages, you need to know somebody that knows everything. Blair's been in the industry 21 years, top 1% close ratio in the country. That's not just in Tippa County. That's in the country. Coffee is for closers. Blair gets his share, my share, everybody else's. Works or Fairway Mortgage recently voted number one in mortgage origination and satisfaction for customers. Be sure and let him know you heard about him on the barnyard. Let me give you Blair's personal cell number. How about that? 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And, be, and let him know. You heard about him on the barnyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's nice, right? That's a nice benefit just by listening to this show. We're trying to keep it in the family, the Boneyard family. Again, 601-500-2344. Be sure and uh, hit Blair up. Okay, we have an anonymous suggestion today for the top ten list. Had this one a while back. Didn't do it. So we're going to get it off the list, but also somebody hit me up, said, hey, Steve, I'm, I'm going through a difficult time, I'm going through a breakup. Could use some good rock and roll breakup songs. So I have them for you. You may not agree with my order, and uh, I think it kind of depends on your attitude about your former relationship, Anonymous Sir. So I gave you a wide array of songs here on the top 10 list. Number 10, it's been on our song before, on our list before. It's the band Junkyard, a little bit silly here. It's Hands Off from Junkyard. Number nine, from Dawkins Beast from the East album, which was a live album, and they put this in as a bonus single. It's the great song Walk Away from Dawkins. You thought I was going with Alone Again. I'm not. It's Walk Away. Number eight, from the Grunge Days, it's Pearl Jam's Black. You may not have known that's a breakup song. It is. Black from Pearl Jam. Number seven, it's Journey's Separate Ways. You know, they had all these other songs, Don't Stop Believing and Loving, Touching, Squeezing. No, we're, we're touched away on separate ways. Number six, a great track, It's Without You from Hinder. 
Without you, I live it up a little more every day. You know. Number five, maybe you're down in the dumps. Maybe you're feeling somewhat dejected, feeling lesser than. It's the Jay Giles Band classic, Love Stinks. I think uh, Robbie and the guys in the, in the Wedding Singer probably did a great version of that, Love Stinks. Yeah, yeah, Love Stinks. Number four, an amazing song with an amazing solo with a great guitarist. It's Lindsey Buckingham and Fleetwood Mac. You can go your own way. Number four. Number three on your list. You know, I would be remiss if I didn't work a Motley Crue song in whenever we could. It's Don't Go Away Mad, Girl, Just Go Away. Number two. This has also been on our list before. On a top ten. It's uh, Taproot. The great song Fractured. Everything I said was true. Except for I Love You Too. Number one, though. My Chemical Romance. Number one. The great rock Breakup song, I Don't Love You, like I did yesterday. There you go, top 10 rock breakup songs. Be sure and check them out. Roy will have that great list up for you on Spotify later today. He is often, I'm sure, in the restful slumber as I'm recording the show. But uh, we thank you so much for your support of the Boneyard and the top 10 list. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out let me or Roy know. Roy is available on Twitter and Spotify at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, Dogmatic67. There you go. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. I was there recently. Amazing selection. The best in the known universe. Be sure and go by and check them out next time you're in town for game day. It's an important aspect of life. You got to go get that Mississippi State merch whenever you come to town, right? That's what we always did. I'd bring up, bring, the, bring my oldest son, we'd stop, and we'd get a T-shirt. Because living in, in the foreign land of Baton Rouge, it was important to let people know where we stood. They were Bulldogs. It was game day every day for us. So go by on Campus Book Mart, outfit your family, and latest in Mississippi State merchandise. If you can't make the to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, as usual, it's a wild weekend in the Southeastern Conference. That said, it pretty much went to script with one exception. We pretty much got the winners right, and I think the games went maybe as close to script as you would expect. Tennessee absolutely pours it on Missouri, and I think some people made comments about Eli Drinkwitz had said some negative things about Tennessee in the offseason, and apparently Josh Heupel didn't forget. 66 to 24. That second half, a 38 to 7 differential in the second half. This ball game is somewhat competitive. It's 28-17 at the break. You think, you know what, maybe Missouri can come out and make some things happen. I guess at one time they were only down 21-14. But 28-17 at the break, and then Josh Heupel and Tennessee absolutely go off. Hendon Hooker, 25 of 35, 355 yards, three touchdowns passing. And then Hooker also ran for 50 yards. Samson was a leading rusher just under 100 yards at 98. Eight carries for 98 yards along a 42. 
Uh, Jabari Small, one of the unheralded players in this league, 54 yards rushing on nine carries. Uh, and they split it up. You know, you had uh, two quarterbacks, three running backs, really kind of spread those carries around. And, and listen, why would you have to worry about that when you're scoring as prolifically as they did? Uh, Jalen Hyatt, big ball game for him. Hyatt, excuse me, seven catches, 146 yards, and he said he left some yards on the field. McCoy, nine for 111. So a big game through the air. So, again, Tennessee, 91, 5 and 1 overall, and, and ahead of schedule, I think we'd all agree. A bit of a nail biter in Fayetteville. Of course, KJ Jefferson did not play for Arkansas, and that LSU defense is legit. You know, we know that firsthand. It's one of those deals, too, if they could ever get out of their own way. But I thought that the LSU defense really kind of stood up in this first quarter. Arkansas had two turnovers or excuse me, LSU turned it over twice. Arkansas defense forced two turnovers in the first quarter, and then Arkansas didn't score. They didn't convert points on any of those. They do manage to get a field goal and have a 3 nothing lead after one. LSU comes back, makes it a 6-3 ball game. They kick a, a couple field goals there, back-to-back drives there in the second quarter to get a 6-3 lead at the break. And then LSU comes out in that third quarter, and they put a touchdown on the board and go up two possessions uh, with just five minutes to go in the third quarter. And you think, you know what, this is probably it. But but you're wrong. Arkansas comes back. Cade Fortin, and by the time he got in the game, I think they were it was a little bit too discombobulated. But Cade Fortin, a 40-yard pass to Matt Landers, caps a 94-yard drive. And there's still plenty of time left in this game. LSU had a chance to put it away. They liked the punt. And then Arkansas just couldn't cash in from there. But Cade Fortin, 8 of 13 for 92 yards. Malik Hornsby, 4 of 9 for 24. The kid is just not quite ready. He kind of caught us by surprise a little bit because, you know, I think we thought Fortin would be the dude and they would probably change their offensive play call a little bit. They'd bring Hornsby, and I think it surprises some. Rocket Sanders held at his 46-yards rushing. Malik Hornsby runs for 37, 18 carries for Malik Hornsby. And some of that, too, I think is passing plays where – Perhaps he wasn't patient enough or didn't see the field well, so he just tucks it and goes. Green then seven carries for 31 yards. Fortin, five for 17. But LSU, Jaden Daniels, eight of 15 for just 86 yards and a pick. And the pick was just abysmal. It absolutely was. But uh, they do run the football with some success in this ball game. It was a defensive struggle. Arkansas now really still fighting to get bowl eligible, five and five, and running out of time. Vanderbilt... Snaps, what is it, a 26-game SEC losing streak? And they go on the road and do it at Kentucky, who for some reason was still ranked at 6-4. and four. Some people are just scared to admit they were wrong about Kentucky. So they just keep voting for them. Well, you can't now, right? They were 6-3 and three and they were ranked. They had no business being ranked. They don't have a quality win on the schedule. Vanderbilt leads after 1-7-6. And then in the third quarter, it kind of tightens up a little bit. And Vanderbilt takes it out to a 14-6 lead. Kentucky gets a field goal to pull within a score there. It's 14-9, headed to the fourth quarter, and some drama unfolds in the fourth quarter. Kentucky wins the quarter 12-10 and also missed a field goal in this ballgame, too, early on that uh, could have been rather significant. But Chris Rodriguez scores. They go for two. They miss. It's 15-14. Joseph Bolivas, former Alabama kicker and Mississippi State lean, 
cashes in for Vandy, makes it 17-15 with just over five minutes to play. And Rodriguez gets loose. And when Chris Rodriguez, 72-yard run there, you start thinking, okay, order has been restored. And then Mike Wright takes him down the field on 4th and 11, connects for a 42-yard strike to set up what would be the game-running touchdown, a pass to, uh, to Will Shepard. And they win it 24-21. Ridiculous, man. Will Levis, I, I'm so tired of hearing about this dude. I said, told everybody in preseason that his production did not match his projection. He's 11 for 23, 109 yards, one interception. And, of course, that came late in the ballgame. But you get 162 yards rushing from Rodriguez and you only get 109 yards passing from Will Levis. And it's not on all these young receivers. It's Will. The dude is just fool's gold. It is. And whatever general manager drafts him in the first round is going to be looking for a job in two years. McLean runs for 52, but the big story is Mike Wright. 12 of 23 for 184 yards, a touchdown and a pick, and he runs for 126 yards. Davis also added 129. So you have two guys go over 100 yards, you're typically going to win that ball game. And, again, look at Vanderbilt going on the road. Will Shepard, five of, uh, for 88. Absolutely. Great win for Clark Lee and the Vanderbilt Commodores and uh, Kentucky now expected to probably finish a game behind what we projected them at 8-4. and four. Looks like a 7-5 and five year, which is good for Mississippi State. Alabama and Ole Miss goes down to the final play. We knew that it would be a competitive game. Picked uh, Alabama to win, Ole Miss to cover. And uh, Ole Miss nearly pulls it off. They do cover. And uh, I like what Lane Kiffin said in postgame. Yeah, yeah, we, we had this, we had that, but we didn't win the game. Everything else is just details. If you don't win the game, nothing else really matters. I, I like it. I, I do. I absolutely like that mentality. That's kind of how I feel about life, too. Either you win or you don't. Everything else is just details. But Ole Miss gets out to a 7-0 lead. It's one of those things if you just feel like if you can survive the first half against Ole Miss, second half Ole Miss kind of struggles offensively. But it's a 17-14 game at the break. Alabama outscores them 10-7 there in the uh, third quarter to make it 24-all going to the fourth. The only scoring done in the fourth quarter were a pair of field goals from Alabama. And you felt like when they had to settle for that field goal with four minutes to play, excuse me, with two minutes to play, that Ole Miss was going to go down and score a touchdown. Of course, they couldn't get a field goal, but if they go down and score a touchdown there, they win, and it goes down to fourth down. Uh, a ball batted down, intended for uh, Jonathan Mingo. He makes a great effort there. I don't know if he could have pulled it down, but uh, he certainly put himself in a position to make that play. And that's it. And uh, Dart, 18 of 31, 212 yards, one touchdown. Uh, decent, right? Judkins, another big game for him, 25 carries, 135 yards, probably a freshman All-American. Uh, scores two touchdowns. Dart, 16 for 35. And then Zach Evans, 6 for 12. I don't think Zach Evans is still fully healthy. Still kind of beat up there. But, uh, you know, Alabama did what Alabama does is that they arise in big moments. And how about how would that have been back-to-back games to lose on the last play? But they didn't. Malik Heath, a big ball game for Ole Miss, two Six catches, 123 yards. Bryce Young, though, kind of willed these guys along, 21 of 33 for 209 yards, three touchdowns. But, again, not, not a lot really vertically. They had a couple of balls in the intermediate passing game, had a little catch and run on it. But, you know, the longest catch of the day, 
uh, you know, for them was 35 yards to uh, to Brooks. Outside of that, nobody had a catch. Even uh, Burton, who should, never should have played against Mississippi State, uh, exceeded 20 yards. So, good game for the Rebels, but they couldn't quite get it done. And now with the LSU win and the Ole Miss loss, LSU has now clinched the SEC West. So, another year that Ole Miss doesn't win the West, but to give them credit, they have proven to be better than many people expected them to be. And the fact that they were still playing meaningful, meaningful football in the middle of November is a testament to that team and coaching staff. All right, South Carolina goes to Florida, and Florida absolutely smashes them. It's like they got that running game going. When you can't run the football and the other team can, it makes it very difficult. These two teams are now tied in the SEC East. Florida, of course, wins a tiebreaker. But Florida, 21 points in the first quarter. It's 21-0. At that point, we knew the game was over. It was just kind of a matter of what the final score was going to be. South Carolina finally gets on the board um, after it's 24-0. Uh, they, go, they, they go for two. So you start chasing points early in the ballgame, you know it's going to be a long, a long day. But 24-6, to six, trying to make it a two-score game, I probably kicked right there. Third quarter, the only scoring was a touchdown. Touchdown pass from Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Odom. Extra point is good. And then late in the fourth quarter, uh, they tack on another one. And the uh, eight-yard run from Montreal Johnson makes it 38-6. to six. Richardson 11 for 23, 112 yards. Uh, not much through the air, but uh, a couple of nice big touchdown uh, passes there. And then two pl- running backs go over 100 yards, and Richardson's right there with 96. When, when you're running with that level of efficiency, chances are you're going to win a football game. Spencer Rattler, 18-26. 5.6 yards of completion, 145 yards on the day. And they, they ran the fake punt that kept them in the ballgame. How about that? Fake punt goes 48 yards for the touchdown. And that's it. You know, that, that's really the only offense that South Carolina could muster against Florida. So awfully interesting outcome. We expected Florida to win. I don't know that I expect them to win in the dominant fashion they did. I told you guys I thought this Auburn and A&M game would be an absolute barn burner. It was, but not because of the offensive prowess of either team. But it was a great atmosphere and a tip of the cap to the Auburn fans It turned out and sold out Jordan-Hare Stadium and really backed Cadillac Williams and really showed these young men that they're there for them. Auburn, a 7-0 lead at the break, very much a defensive stalemate, and they tack on a field goal in the third to make it 10-0, and it really felt like that might be enough to win it. As anemic as the Aggies are on offense and how the Auburn defense has so many athletes out there, you just felt like they had a shot to maybe shut this thing down. But Texas A&M comes back, tries to make a game of it. Uh, They kick a field goal to make it 10-3. So you're within a score, and then you get an answer from Auburn. Alex McPherson with a a 26-yard field goal makes it a two-score game with just under three minutes to play. But A&M wouldn't quit. Connor Wegman with a 17-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Preston makes it 13-10. And from there, uh, Auburn wins the ballgame. Robbie Ashford, 6 of 13 for 60 yards, one touchdown, two picks. He can't throw the football. It's not just us. Uh, Tank Bigsby with a big game, 23 carries for 121. Uh, Jarquez Hunter, 13 carries for 121. So, again, two guys running over 100 yards. Ashford gets 47. Uh, Tank Bigsby, two grabs for 20. So not a lot of passing stats. It's kind of what we saw last week. But they did a good job uh, of getting the running backs more involved. Connor Wegman, 14 of 36. That's an abysmal completion percentage and just 3.4 yards a catch. They did not have Devin Achain in this ballgame, which I'm certain played a factor. 
And they also then have Moose Muhammad. Did you, did you see why he was suspended? It was something to do with about his arm sleeves. Like he wanted to wear arm sleeves and Jimbo wouldn't let him. And so they suspend him. And there's got to be more to the story. He, he made the tweet and took the tweet down. But the reality of it is, is that the best receiver and the best running back didn't play for Texas A&M. And I, and I don't think there's a coach that feels like that he's in any sense of jeopardy that would make those kinds of decisions. Achain was hurt, but you don't suspend Muhammad if you, don't, if you think you're getting fired at year's end. You, you just don't do it. So, again, your winners, Tennessee, LSU, Vanderbilt, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and, of course, Auburn. So let's take a quick look at the standings. We'll take a little bit closer look at the ball picture uh, on Wednesday's show. Georgia, of course, now has won the East, 10-0 overall, 7-0 in the league. They um, have Georgia Tech. They got uh, Kentucky this week and then Georgia Tech, and they'll be done. So just one conference game left. Even if they drop that game and Tennessee wins out, they hold the, t- the, one, the tiebreaker over the University of Tennessee. Florida now tied for third in the league with a, with a three-way tie there with Florida, Kentucky, and South Carolina. And Kentucky beat Florida, South Carolina beat Kentucky, and then Florida beat South Carolina. So it's kind of a mess in there. It'll play its way out. But all those teams are 6-4 and four right now. And every one of them still has a difficult game to play. I don't think South Carolina wins another game. I think they end the year at 6-6. Six and six. You know, Kentucky, I think, is probably 7-5. and five. I don't think they have a chance against, uh, against Georgia. They do against Louisville. Missouri, now four and six. And again, I tell you, they got New Mexico State coming up this week. That's a W. And then they host Arkansas on Black Friday. Could be awfully interesting. Vanderbilt keeps their slim bowl hopes alive. Four and six. They have to win out. And you say, but Steve, are they capable of doing so? No, I don't believe so. Because they host Florida and then host Tennessee. I think they might be able to give Florida a bit of a game. I don't think they can do anything to slow on Tennessee, though. I just don't think you've got the dudes. And the way Tennessee plays the running game, I think they can make that Vanderbilt offense one-dimensional. But, but con- again, congratulations to Clark Lee and those guys for still having a chance here in the middle of November. Hadn't won a game in forever, and certainly an SEC game. But 1-5 in the league. LSU, of course, has now won the West. And there is a – Three-way tie overall, but LSU, of course, you know the lone one-loss team within league play, six and one. They still have so you know a couple games left to play, obviously, but this is not a situation where I think anybody is worried about LSU going to A&M and losing that game. But they have now won it, so they can afford to maybe take a little bit of a deep breath. Could LSU play their way into the New Year Six? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. If they went out, they'd be ten and two. Why wouldn't they? You win, you win the win the West. You go ten and two. Even if you lose to Georgia, which wouldn't be a bad loss, perhaps they stay in the New Year's Six. Alabama now eight and two overall, but five and two in the league. Ole Miss four and two in the league, uh, with a big road trip to Arkansas this week, and then of course on a short week the uh, the Egg Bowl. So be an eventful ten days for the Ole Miss Rebels to say the least. And again, you you begin to think about motivation. You know, now that Ole Miss is out of contention for the West and now you've got to go on the road, it's, it's not necessarily a recipe for success. State now three and four and currently fourth in the SEC West with Arkansas, um, you know, two and four in the league. 
you know, there's a chance that State could stay ahead of them. You know, State just needs to keep winning. You know, State could still finish four and four in the league um, and finish as high as third in the SEC West. I don't know many people projected that. But, uh, you know, of course, you, you would need Ole Miss to lose out to do that. But it's certainly a possibility. It's not like Ole Miss has any gimme slips on the schedule. Arkansas now two and four. And Arkansas hosts Ole Miss this week and then travels to Missouri. They've got to win one game to get bowl eligible. And it's amazing to think about Kentucky and Arkansas both and Texas A&M, former top ten teams. And A&M has been eliminated from bowl contention. And Kentucky – six and four, and then you look at Arkansas, five and five. So one team is just bowl eligible, another team is not bowl eligible, and another one can't be get bowl eligible. You want to talk about how early rankings don't mean anything? There's your evidence. And then Auburn. Auburn's still in a situation they could get bowl eligible. How great would that be? Maybe you send them to the Gasparilla Bowl. But they're four and six. They get Western Kentucky this week, and then it's the Iron Bowl at Alabama. And based on what you've seen from that that Auburn defense the last two weeks, you begin to think, you know, hey, maybe they got a puncher's chance in this game. You never know what happens in rivalry games. So Auburn's got to go take care of things this week, take care of Western Kentucky. And Western Kentucky, while it is an on-conference game, it's not a pushover game. They can can ill afford to let up. But I think they've got enough juice, and I think if you saw that crowd, that that crowd is going to stand behind this group. And then Texas A&M, of course, loses a battle of three and six. Their only team right now that officially eliminated from bowl contention is Texas A&M. Team that had the former number one recruiting class in the country. Dead last in the SEC. One and six on a six-game losing streak, three and seven. And you begin to look at this thing and you begin to ask yourself, is there a winnable game left on the schedule? Well, they get UMass this weekend, so they should get UMass, Right? But it doesn't matter. It's all academic at this point. They're just simply playing out the string. You know, it's just one of those things you look at and you just kind of get, you know, you scratch your head about it a little bit. UMass is one and nine. You know, UMass may be thinking, you know what, maybe we got a shot, guys. They not won a game since they beat Stony Brook back in week three. They've not been competitive. And A&M, of course, uh, you know, should win that game handily. But you have nothing left to play for other than pride and perhaps, uh, you know, the love of your university. But that's it, man. A&M out of the – who thought we'd ever say that, that A&M would be the first team eliminated from bowl contention? Everybody else, all 13 schools not named Texas A&M, remain in contention for a bowl. Now, that won't last. But uh, it's awfully interesting to begin to think about there is actually a possible scenario where all 13 teams could be bowl eligible. It's not probable, but it's possible. Auburn could win out. They could. It's going to take a Herculean effort to win the Iron Bowl. And Arkansas, of course, needs to win, needs to beat Ole Miss, and Missouri needs to find a way to beat Arkansas. You know, Vanderbilt would have to win out, of course. But, um, it, you know, again, at least there, there is still some intrigue at the bottom half of the league when it comes to bowl eligibility. So let's take a quick look ahead at this next week. And uh, we'll preview that, of course, uh, more in depth on Wednesday, on Friday, excuse me. But uh, this, again, week 12, this is a week that a lot of people take a um, non-conference game, and that's really the case through most of the conference. Austin P will be at Alabama. East Tennessee State at Mississippi State. 
UMass at A&M, Florida at Vanderbilt. That's an 11. All those are 11 a.m. kicks. Kentucky and Georgia is your CBS game. That game's lost a little bit of luster, but you know, you're showcasing the number one team in the country. The game is on the road in Lexington. If, you know, Kentucky may show up and play a little bit. I just don't think they've got the athletes. And Georgia is so fast in that front. I just don't think Rodriguez is going to be able to, to be close to his average. Great back, future pro guy. Just not enough pieces around him. And, and Will Levis, I just can't see Will making plays against that Georgia secondary. Western Kentucky is at Auburn. We talked about that being a, a, a dicey game for them considering you know the, the Brian Harson thing. Firing Harson was the right thing to do when they did it because it's now pushed some new life into the season for them. Tennessee then is at South Carolina. Uh, Beamer ball, again, they were ahead of schedule last year. I think this year they should probably celebrate getting to a bowl game. There will be some of their fans think, hey, we didn't take the next step. I honestly believe in this stretch – Six and six, seven and five is probably the best that South Carolina can hope for. With Georgia rolling the way they are, Tennessee much improved, and Florida getting better. And then, of course, the Kentucky game is kind of a toss-up. We talked about that last week about Mark Stoops always basically has seven wins because you get four winnable non-conference games, and then you get the benefit of playing South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt every year. And so it's like if you can upset somebody else – and maybe beat Mississippi State on your field, then you've got a chance to squeeze out 10 wins in a year. And it looks good on paper, but it's really not that impressive when you dig into it. Let's see how good a coach Mark Stoops is when we change the scheduling rotation and he has to go in and play Alabama and Auburn and Texas A&M with much more regularity, right? All right, Tennessee, of course, South Carolina. Talked about that one. Ole Miss is at Arkansas. I think this is a game – I think a lot of people are going to sleep on this game – and I really think this is going to be a good game. Arkansas has improved against the run, and Arkansas can run the football. Ole Miss wants to run it, control the clock. So does Arkansas. It's tough to win on the road in the Southeastern Conference. It just is. And really around the country this year, there just aren't a lot of great road teams. And you start looking at, um, you know, Ole Miss, of course they get the benefit of never really having to leave Oxford except to go play Georgia Tech early on. And then their first road game in the league is Vanderbilt. I mean, so what could you tell between, you know, playing at Vanderbilt and at Georgia Tech? You know, Georgia Tech's four and six. Vanderbilt's four and six. Well, then they go to LSU, they get smashed. They go to AM, they win it and give them credit because AM had a full head of steam in that ballgame. AM arguably should have won the football game, but Ole Miss didn't play exceptionally well. They played well enough to win, so you give them credit for that. So they've not been really good on the SEC road. And you're going to be facing an Arkansas team that is going to be incredibly desperate. And they should probably have K.J. Jefferson back this week. New Mexico State, we've talked about that game more than I ever thought we would. New Mexico State at Missouri, you got to like the Tigers' chances there. And then UAB is at LSU. So it's kind of a you – know, everybody says, hey, it's so great that we can get our game out early. But it's really not a great schedule. Uh, the rest of the day. Of course, I think the marquee game of the day is that Ole Miss or Arkansas game. You know, Florida and Vanderbilt could be interesting, but I mean, you know, anytime we have to watch a game that's on in, at Commodore Stadium, it doesn't feel like an SEC game. It's almost like a non-conference thing. Georgia and Kentucky, I guess, could have a little bit of intrigue, and they'll they'll hype it up as if it should. But Georgia should win that game. But uh, it's it's not a great slate of games because because of all the non-conference. But uh, 
we're looking forward to seeing it too. And, and again, I, I agree with Mike Leach's decision to play the game at 11. We've had back-to-back night games. We wanted some nighttime football. We got some. And the fact that we're on a short week, and that's just the thing you kind of begin to think about too with this old Miss Arkansas thing. Okay, we're going to play a ball game at 11. All right, we will be in the hot tub and we'll be cutting up film before Ole Miss even takes a field. Ole Miss, a 6.30 kick. You're looking at, what, a four-hour ball game? By the time everybody showers and gets on the bus, you're probably getting on a plane somewhere around midnight and flying back. You, know, you almost lose a day of preparation. Now, how much does that matter in the Egg Bowl? I don't know. And I'm sure they will spend a little bit of time this week having some of their GAs kind of cutting up film on state. I suspect State will probably spend most of this week and next week getting ready for Ole Miss. And so I think, again, if you're Mike Leach and your staff, I I don't think the scheduling could have gone any better for you leading into the battle for the Golden Egg. Now it's just about going and taking advantage of it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Uh, I told you guys before, and hey, I may may move to Portico. Who knows? Um, Portico, a great place to live, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on a 12 like going to campus. You take that right on Pat Station Road through the four-way stop. Boom, there's Portico. It's that close. But you're tucked away quietly in a neighborhood there, you know, so you're not kind of butted up on the highway. So There's not as much highway noise, I guess you could say. A lot of your friends are there. A lot of them coming up for the weekend, that kind of stuff. Uh, just kind of enjoying life in Starkville. Maybe it's your primary residence. Maybe it's your ballgame weekend retreat. Maybe it's your future retirement home. Either way, Portico has a plan for you. And reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan, a friend to me, a friend to you, a friend to Mississippi State, a friend to Starkville. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Hey, phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, really rolling along there, too. Got a few houses available for purchase. But you know what? Maybe if you need a custom build, they can accommodate you with that too. You can even pick out your lot, pick out your house plan, and you maybe even have some modifications to kind of fit your style of living. I'd encourage you, again, to reach out to Brooks at 601-416-8075. And you never know. I might end up being your neighbor over there. You never know. You never know where life's going to take you. All right, so uh, make Portico your next move. All right, a couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, we did get uh, Emmanuel Forbes back. He wasn't quite 100%. And, of course, he wanted to play. Uh, I thought he played okay, uh, all things being considered. I don't know how much you play those guys this week. I, I would like to think after the first drive of the second half that we are substituting very liberally. My hope is the game is so out of hand that we don't have to worry with that, right? We don't have to worry with playing guys deeper in the ball game. We want to be able to take full advantage of having the FCS opponent at 11 a.m., and I'd like to see a lot of Sawyer Robertson. I'd like to be able to see a lot of Simeon Price. I'd like to see some of these younger wide receivers. Of course, they can play and not, you know, not burn the red shirt, assuming they haven't played three games or four games already. And so you've got some young guys that maybe will see their first action. That's what I want to see. That's what you all want to see. And I think some of these guys, too, that have been a little bit banged up, I think once you get the game in hand, you pull those guys first. All right, let's talk a little bit about tickets, too. Um, I, I got to say, and a lot of people think, Steve, you're so preachy sometimes. Well, I'm about to be, so we'll, we'll hum just as I am and pass an offer and play it around. Guys, I'm going to tell you, that there was a low point for me in the ballgame uh, Saturday, and it had nothing to do with a play or a player or a coaching decision or a play call. It was late in that ballgame because, of course, we stayed at the bitter end when I covered the game. 
is when Georgia basically took over our stadium and they're chanting UGA, UGA. And listen, they're a great team. They got a great fan base. I met a lot of Georgia fans that were incredibly nice and very complimentary of our campus. And, you know, goodness, what do they have to complain about? Uh, not everybody's experience was the same as mine. I heard some other people complain about Georgia fans, but there's a few bad apples in every, in every bunch. But I've never had a beef with Georgia, right? But I don't understand, and we talked about it a little bit last week, I don't understand how this continues to happen, that we have so many tickets on the east side, lower level, that get sold to opposing fans. I, I don't get it. I don't. And as I talked the other day, the money's already spent, right? The money is already spent. You've already, you know, oh, we want to recoup our money. Oh, I mean, come on, give me a break. You've already spent the money. And the thing that I think about, there's so many Bulldog fans that I have seen on social media, on jeanspage.com, in the Facebook groups, are like, man, I had to sit with these Georgia fans. It felt like that I was in an away game. You know, think about the people around us, right? I mean, it's like I, I would never, when, uh, when I sat by the Hardzogs from Lawrence County, from down around Monticello, I, I could never have looked them in the eye if I had sold my tickets to an opposing fan. And you say, well, Steve, you, you can't control what happens. You, yeah, you can. You can. You know, you don't have to go put them on StubHub. You can go to the Facebook groups. There's even a Facebook group where you can buy tickets. You can go to jeanspage.com. We have a free message board, a ticket exchange board, where you can use that and you can even verify if it's a Bulldog fan. you got questions, let me know. I'll help you investigate. But there are things that we can do. And I have read people say, oh, a lot of these are faculty tickets. And listen, we have some very, very, very loyal and dedicated faculty that didn't graduate from Mississippi State that are still, in their minds, Bulldogs because they love your student athletes, they love your coaches, they love your university. And they're very loyal. They wear maroon. And they come to ball games And they cheer and ring cowbells, right? So I'm not talking about those balls. But there are some others that buy those tickets at a discounted rate, and then they sell them. I don't know if they need the income or whatever, but there are usually always very willing and capable Bulldogs that are, that are you know, in line to buy those tickets. But I didn't like it. I don't like the fact that somebody comes over here and looks on TV and, you know, we talk about, you know, we want a great program, but, you know, we don't do a lot of things as fans sometimes to support that line of thinking. You know, it's like we talk about the transfer portal, right? One of the first things that gets posted when a young man enters the transfer portal, even if we don't know why he's transferring, we've had some guys that have transferred to be closer to sick relatives. We've had some guys that have transferred out for playing time because they've seen a writing on the wall here. One of the first things that I see was so much for loyalty, right? And some of those same people don't come to games. They have the most negative things to say. You know, it's like it doesn't matter the topic that their line of thinking never really changes. Let's find a way to blame Mississippi State. Let's find a way. So the question that I ask, too, if, if that's what we're going with, when I look across from the press box and I look at the Lower East Side and I see it's uh, about half filled with, with Georgia fans, I, I ask myself, what, whatever happened to loyalty? Right? We got the number one team in the country in our backyard. Number one. Probably needed the greatest home field advantage we could muster. And again, the talent differential is very much in Georgia's favor. But crazy things happen. I'm not going to say it would have changed the outcome of the game, but it might have helped a little bit. 
I think the officials were going to make sure we're going to lose either way, right? Georgia's talent has something to do with it, too. We didn't lose the game because of officiating. The, the margin was impacted because of officiating. But the thing that I think about, too, is why wouldn't you want to be there just in case something special happens? Is this going to be like the Alabama game where you stayed at home, listened to it on the radio, and it said you were there? Right? And so I, I say that, and some people would suggest, you know, well, Steve, you're kind of beating up on people, and maybe I am. But the question that I have for you, what, what kind of program do we want? I mean, honestly, and we, we posed this question before. I'm not going to get on here and beg for money or make you feel guilty for any of that. But w- what kind of program do we want at Mississippi State? And like some people say, well, you know what? They, people voted with their attendance and they don't like Mike Leach, and I don't believe that's the case at all. I mean, there are some, obviously, that are not supporters of Mike Leach. You know, we have not had capacity crowds in a long time. We had some big crowds back in 18. We had big crowds for Florida, and some of them were there. We had big crowds for Auburn. Some of them were there. It still counts. Still a great atmosphere. You're never going to shut everybody out. And goodness, we couldn't sell those tickets anyway, right? But I, I just don't see how the program gets any better if we're not there to support the team. There's only so much cheering and cowbell cowbell clanging you can do from your couch. And so I encourage you as always, and listen, I get it. For some people, you can't, maybe you can't afford season tickets. And you know what? I get it. There was a time in my life I couldn't either. It was a huge sacrifice. When I first started buying season tickets, you know, we were sky dogs, but we were loud and proud and we were were there. And I kind of liked being up there so I could see the play develop, right? And eventually we upgraded. We got in with a great group of folks and got some better tickets over on the west side. And I was really happy. It was a great experience for me and my son. I would not trade those memories of traveling to ball games with my son for anything. Some of the greatest memories of my life were taking my son to see Mississippi State play. Because what my dad did for me, too, he didn't do it as often. But we built bonds around Bulldog sports. And, you know, after baseball, I called him after every single game, every game. Win or lose, I call it, and we talk about what we saw. He, of course, he was a college baseball player. And so it's not just about the kids on the field. It's your kids, too. And so many of you, we, I see these pictures, and, you know, we got the little ladies with their chiller outfits on and, and their cowbells, and we're raising them right. We are. But I think let, let's normalize going to the ball game when we can. Right? There are some people, listen, I get it. Financially, it may, may be a one-time-a-season one deal. And maybe it's this weekend for East Tennessee State. It's like, hey, you know what, Steve, I just, you know, tickets are, you know, basically giving tickets away. And this is what we can afford. You know what? God bless you, man. Come on and bring your family and make some memories and watch the Bulldogs win a ball game. And maybe you look back one day and your kids, maybe your kids on the field at Mississippi State. Because of that, maybe you'll plant some seeds that'll, that'll blossom one day and you look up and say, you know what? My kids were appreciative of the opportunities they had to go see the Bulldogs play. And, uh, yeah, I think about, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lambast everybody about the hump and that kind of stuff. But the thing that I will say, and this gets brought up a lot too, you know, we kind of got out of the habit of going because we've been so bad at basketball. But, you know, Chris Jans didn't have anything to do with that. You know, these transfer guys that have come in, and thank God for them, thank God for that portal to help us kind of, you know, transform the roster. Guys are playing well. Absolutely playing well. One on Friday, one again on Sunday. You know, playing well. And so, let's get out and go to the ball game. 
you know, tickets to basketball game are not expensive. They're not. And so I encourage you, as always, you know, again, we can't improve our program with you on the couch. We can't. On your couch, sitting on your wallet, trying to find a remote, hoping you can find a snack somewhere, right? Just can't. And so I share that with you, really not in any way to make you feel guilty, but maybe as a bit of a challenge and maybe a bit of an encouragement. We need you to be here. We absolutely need you to be here. And we certainly don't need you selling your tickets. And that's the thing, too, is I think about, you know, a lot of the people that, there are a lot of people that in the sound of my voice right now, they're thinking, man, I would love to have had those tickets because I will eat my tickets before I, I sell them to another fan and then ruin the weekend for my fellow Bulldog. That, that matters to me, and maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe I am. I, I didn't buy my tickets as an investment opportunity. I bought my tickets to support Mississippi State. And so there are a lot of people out there that I know there's some families that I have given tickets to before. Or I have I, I, I got arranged tickets for other people that have said, you know what, I've never been to a game. Or there'll be a family that I know that maybe is in some bit of a crisis. We had a situation here a couple of years ago where a family had lost everything in a fire, and uh, we arranged to get them some tickets and, and let them get away for a little while. You know, those are the kind of things I think about. And, and you can't put a price tag on that, right? I, I need all the good karma I can get in life. And life hadn't always been fair to me. So I try to be fair to other people in hopes that things kind of flip, right? Maybe there is a little selfish motivation, but I'll tell you this. I get so much joy out of giving to other people. It's infectious. It really is. We, they always talk about when you're a kid, it's better to give than receive. Yeah, when you're a kid, when you're a kid, it's difficult to understand but when you have been so blessed as many of us have been and you're able to share that with somebody else share the gifts that were given to you with other people it's amazing and i, I love those people that uh that we, we we work out and find a way to get some tickets i had, I had a, a young lady hit me up over the weekend or during the week and said hey i want to get a veteran in their family in there just so happened she had five tickets i put out on twitter had a veteran contact me got a family of five they've been to one mississippi state game in their life they're going to go to east tennessee state courtesy of lawana griffin how cool is that you know it's like we, we work together as a group here we can get these tickets facilitated we don't just have to oh i'm just gonna go on StubHub and you know I, what's best for mississippi state you know, i always feel like what's best for mississippi state's best for me you know of course my business is somewhat dependent on mississippi state success but i just encourage you hang on to your tickets Try to get them in the hands of Bulldogs, the right Bulldogs. And if you can't, you know, maybe reach out to some of us and let us help you a little bit. There's so many people that each week will tag me and Robbie or Brian Haydad and, uh, in their tweet when they don't, they've got tickets to give away or, or to sell. And, you know, of course, I'd much rather you sell them at face value or give them away than to try to scalp one of your fellow Bulldog fans. But the reality of it is we need Bulldogs in those seats in all fields and courts of play. And uh, be remiss if I didn't mention, too, Mississippi State soccer wins that big ball game. First NCAA tournament win in school history. Now we'll take on Memphis. I believe that neutral location is going to be in Fayetteville, Arkansas, instead of being here, which is kind of weird. Um, but congratulations to Coach Armstrong uh, and the ladies for working in some history for us. How about that? So congratulations. Listen, that's it for today. Listen, we sold a bunch of books here in last week, and we had a little flurry. People go to dogpilebook.com. You can get all my sports books there. And, again, Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs are almost gone. Matter of fact, they just replenished some stock. 
uh, here at Book Martin Cafe. Maroon and Company has some. Uh, so it's mainly in Starkville, but uh, I was at uh, Barnes & Noble in Ridgeland. They're completely out. The only thing of mine they have there is Dogpile. Uh, Lemuria has a few uh, of everything, but uh, mainly Dogpile. But um, if you're looking to get those other books, now's the time to act. Go to dogpiledabook.com. You can sign personalized copies from there, and I'll be signing pretty much all over uh, before the holidays are here, probably the next six weeks or so. So you can catch up with me. I don't know what we're doing Saturday, but uh, I know I'm at the uh, 120 Club on Thursday. And then beside that, I don't know. I'll let you guys know on Wednesday. I don't make the schedule. But um, if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at great bookstores everywhere. They can order it for you, or you can order it for yourself online at Amazon, uh, barnesandnoble.com, booksamillion.com. And you can find Stark Villains gear at starkvillains.com. Dad probably could use a Stark Villain T-shirt or hoodie under the Christmas tree this year. He may not ask for it, but I know he'd appreciate it. So get him at Starkville and Hoodie, and uh, you'll be glad you did. And as always, come at jeanspage.com and uh, join in the discussion with us. We're always happy to have you. Listen, it's a big week this week. We need to go win a ball game and uh, kind of see what happens as the traffic kind of clears around us. And we'll kind of work through some scenarios on Wednesday about what the bowl picture looks like heading into the final two weeks of the season. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.